The New York Knicks have lost three straight games as Coach Fisdale's seat continues to get hotter. We break down the team's struggles and the rough schedule ahead as we take you inside the locker room with New York Post sports writer Greg Joyce. We're also joined by former Nick, a guy with his own rule named after him, and the NBA champion with Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Trent Tucker joins the podcast. All that and more next on Big Apple Buckets with the New York Post. Welcome to Big Apple Buckets, a New York Post, New York Knicks podcast. I'm your host, Kazim Famuide, but you can call me Kaz. New episodes drop every Tuesday as we dive into everything Knicks with our team of New York Post writers and special guests. Hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Five-star ratings are welcome. Nice reviews are also welcome. Comments, good, bad, or indifferent, I'll take them all. I ain't greedy at all, man. It's a special pre-Thanksgiving show today as we are joined by the post Greg Joyce, who makes his debut on this week's pod, and we're also joined by former Nick and NBA champion Trent Tucker. Let's get the show going. Yes, sir. In round two of the Battle of New York this season, the Knicks dropped a second straight game to the in-town rival Brooklyn Nets this past Sunday, bringing them to a third game in a row that they have lost. And the seat for Dave Fisdale is starting to get hotter as the team is now 4-13 and on the season. I know last week we talked about that this season, this patch, this upcoming road that the Knicks are going on can make or break the season because they have a bevy, a lot of tough opponents that they're going up against. Uh, tonight, they're taking on the Toronto Raptors and a homecoming for the Knicks rookie, R.J. Barrett, first-round pick, one of the few bright spots in his Knicks season. But before we get into that, we got a lot of things to talk about, man. Um, during that aforementioned game with the Brooklyn Nets, uh, Yes Network analyst and the NBA, uh, former NBA great Richard Jefferson uh, said he chose to retire over playing with the Knicks, which, you know, most – you know, normal red-blooded Americans probably took it as a joke and thought it was funny and ha-ha-ha. But Nick's PR decided it would be a good idea to tweet out that they never offered a contract to Richard Jefferson, which, you know, the Cavaliers' Twitter actually responded and said in jest that Richard Jefferson did go on to have a championship career with the Cleveland Cavaliers instead of going to the New York Knicks. These are some of the things, as Knicks supporters, that can usually make Supporting this team as a fan, if you are a fan, leave a bitter taste in your mouth because it's like, why even respond to something like this? The guy is clearly joking around. He's clearly in jest. It's a rivalry game, and the rival analyst is is trolling. You fell for the troll. You fell for the for the hook. You fell for a hook, line, and sinker. And it just kind of goes to show you that sometimes priorities aren't where they should be. When it comes to the New York Knicks, uh, I mean, in better news, I hate to talk about it, obviously, because the RJ thing is a little funny. Let's get into a different RJ, the RJ that we like, the RJ that we support, RJ Barry. He's still he's taking on the Toronto Raptors for the first time in Toronto, in the Air Canada Center, in an arena that he made a huge name for himself as one of the top prospects to ever come out of Toronto, Canada, the reason why we call him the Maple Mamba. And the Toronto Raptors are pulling out all the stops. I mean, they know how important it is that this kid is coming back home. They are rolling out all the red carpet. And as somebody who supports the Knicks, I should be very worried. 
be a little worried, man, because when your team starts off four and thirteen, and a team with a guy that has been linked to being a you know a, a Nick Savior in Masai Ujiri is rolling out the red carpet for your rookie star who happens to be from that city. I would start uh, sweating a little bit. Maybe not now. Maybe not a year or two. But um, expect the grand opening and the grand welcome for R.J. Barrett coming home to uh, the OBO Center, a.k.a. the Air Canada Center in Toronto, Canada. We're going to dive into the Maple Mamba's grand return to Toronto, Canada, and everything else Knicks right now as I bring on New York Post sports beat writer who was at the Garden Sunday and has been at Knicks practice all this week, Greg Joyce. It's Greg's debut on Big Apple Buckets, and we sat next to him in the press box at the Porzingis return game. You can follow him on Twitter, at GJoyce9. Greg, what's going on, family? Hey, how you doing, guys? Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. I'm doing all right, man. Now, you just wrote a, a great story in the NewYorkPost.com, which you can check out right now, about R.J. Barrett coming back to Toronto. And despite missing the game uh, with the illness, he committed to playing tonight and saying that he can't let his hometown down, can't let his home country down. Uh, and he said, quote, I can't miss this. I got to go play for everybody I love. Uh, the Raptors are expecting to put out a video tribute to him and roll out the entire red carpet. Uh, what have been your thoughts uh, being uh, seeing all this kind of transpire for R.J. Barrett in his rookie year? Yeah, it's like the, uh, the native son is coming home to Canada. He's a, uh, he grew up in Mississauga, which is a short trip outside of Toronto, and he grew up a Raptors fan. He watched DeMar DeRozan and Chris Bosh, those teams, and that's kind of uh, the team he followed, loved as a kid. So he's excited to be going back to Toronto. Uh, you know, he missed Saturday. Sunday's game with an illness, and it was still coughing and sniffling uh, yesterday on Tuesday, but uh, he said there's no way he can miss this game, and I think he's got a ton of family and friends coming, and so I think he's uh, going to be pretty excited to get back out there and play in front of all those guys. Now, uh, I don't want to look too far into the future. I don't want to rattle the cage of Knicks fans right now, but Masai Ujiri, who's been a guy that's been on top of the Knicks' dream wish list for however many years now, is behind most of all this, and he has fleeced the Knicks before. Uh, are you at all worried that this is the, this is the start of the spark of – the eventual R.J. Barrett to Toronto campaign that's going to happen when that time comes. Oh, man, I think that would just send Nick's fans into a frenzy. I mean, R.J. Barrett has been kind of the uh, the glimmer of hope so far this year in a tough year, and uh, I think the idea of losing him after, you know, what happened with the, the last big draft pick that I thought was a, a future you know, franchise cornerstone, uh, I think that's uh, – I think R.J. Barrett's here to stay, at least for now, but – I mean, you never know in the NBA these days. Everybody seems to orchestrate their way uh, out somewhere where they want to go. But uh, I think for now, RJ likes playing for the Knicks, and he's, I know he he, he wants to be uh, a part of the, the solution. So, uh, but you know, you, the NBA, you never know, man. It's, this league is crazy. Now you've been at practice all week, and RJ has been uh, out with the illness, and the Knicks are starting to kind of uh, get hit with a little bit of the injury bug. Uh, aside from Kevin Knox, who's a, a little sore, might be doubtful for tonight. Neil Keenan, who might be out as well. How's RJ looked? I know he missed the game last week. He's going to play. He said he's going to play tonight. How's he looked to you during practice? Yeah, I think he's, uh, you know, he missed. He said he was feeling uh, sick even Saturday night against the Spurs when he put up 13 points. I think he shot 6 of 11. He said he was coughing the whole game. So, obviously, he was able to play through a Saturday. Uh, went through the walkthrough Sunday and then got sent home. So he had Monday to rest. Tuesday, uh, I don't think he did a ton of practice, and, but he was putting up some free throws afterwards, which is good. So that's uh, one of the areas that's been kind of lacking for him. 
Um, so I think he's gotten in plenty of rest and, and fluids and all that over the last few days. So, uh, like I said, he did sound a little like he was still battling a little something on Tuesday, but uh, I think he should be should be good to go for Wednesday. And always, you know, full home cooking never hurts either. So. I'm sure he'll be ready to go. Yeah, man. Maybe get some poutine or whatever Toronto Canadians eat up there. <laughs> uh, so the Nets, let's, let's take it back to the game that R.J. Barrett did miss. Uh, it was round two of the Battle of New York, and the Nets took another one in the Garden this time. Uh, seemed like there were a lot more Nets fans in the Garden this year. Am I right? Was I was I hearing things? What did you hear? You were at the arena. What did you hear when you uh, when you were at that game? Yeah, there was a big section next to, right next to the press box of about I think there was about like fifty Nets fans. Uh, the Brooklyn Brigade made their way over, and uh, so I know they, they found a lot of us because they were right next to us. But I think they probably uh, made their voices heard around the arena a little bit, um, and they had their way early. I mean, the Nets, you know, got out to a fourteen point lead in the second quarter, and uh, were leading most of the way. And the Knicks made it interesting late, uh, which they seem to be doing lately. Even if they fall behind, they they this come back in the second half and they you know they got to stop building digging themselves these big holes but uh you know the crowd got into it late Marcus Morris got hot from three and all of a sudden they got within one point Frank Milikina had a wide open corner three that that you know so the roof would have blown off the place they hit it would have tied the game with about 40 seconds left I think but uh wasn't meant to be but you know it, there was definitely some some Nets fans there which is I mean when they played at the at Barclays Center earlier this year there was plenty of Knicks fans there so I think it's uh, it's always fun when you know those fans travel and make it interesting in, in the uh, opponent's arena. Now you mentioned uh, in your article recently that uh, Dave Vistel desperately wants the Knicks to play faster and speed up the team's pace. Um, you've been at practice with them all week. You wrote this story. Uh, what are some of the things that he's been trying to implement to make the team play faster? Because it seems like his leash is getting a little shorter and his seat's getting a little hotter. Uh, what have you saw um, all this week? Yeah, I mean, it's been a, been a big point of emphasis, I think, really since Fizdale got here. You know, he's always talked about wanting to play fast. And last year, I think they were 17th in the pace rankings in the NBA, and this year they're 27th. Uh, he just wants them to get more possessions, and more possessions where maybe they get two shots or three shots up in the possession, you know, get some offensive rebounds. And they want to get into their stuff quicker. And, and uh, on Tuesday, they practiced with a 12-second shot clock to really kind of hammer that home. And, uh, they want to be able to, to carry that over into Wednesday's game. So we'll see if it happens. Uh, I mean, they, they, they talked about it a lot, but it seemed like there was you know, special emphasis on a Tuesday. Uh, they just want to be able to get into their plays faster. And, uh, you know, I, I, it probably helps having Frank Nielsen kind of push the ball up the court instead of having, you know, we've seen some Julius Randle's point forward. Uh, that kind of maybe slows it down a little bit. But if you get Frank in there and, you know, if Bennett Smith Jr. is playing like he's capable of, I think that kind of helps out just kind of being, him being able to penetrate the paint, kick out, or, or for other guys. And, um, you know, he said he's okay. He, he thinks they're playing fast enough, but they're just not playing with a good, good enough pace and getting into their, their flow. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see if that actually kicks into play on uh, Wednesday night. Now, when it comes to uh, playing fast, uh, th- there's an opportunity to play a little bit undisciplined, and that seems like that's been a theme for the Knicks this year. And they're going to need to play discipline with this next stretch of games against the Raptors, against the Sixers, the Celtics, the Bucks, Nuggets, Pacers. And then after that, a four-game West Coast trip against the Blazers, Warriors, Kings, and Nuggets. Some of those may be winnable games. Some of them may not be. And this might be the stretch where we see just how long that leash for Dave Fisdale can be. Um, how bad do you see this uh, end up being already with the team being at 4-13 and, and the potential for it to get a little bit worse? 
yeah, it, it definitely has the potential to get to get ugly. I mean, it's crazy when the Warriors are the next team that they they really have a shot at. I mean, I think every other game until then, uh, they're not going to be favored. And uh, I mean, it, it's been interesting because some of these against some of these best teams in the league, they've they've been right there when they played up in Boston uh, a few weeks ago. They were right there in the fourth quarter, didn't win. Um, but then again, when they played in Philly the other week. They were right there. They had a lead late and all of a sudden lost in the fourth quarter. So it's like they've, they've shown the, the ability to play up to these teams, uh, even though they've had some stinkers against some terrible teams. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that continues. And, and guys keep on saying that they're they're close and they feel like, you know, the, the this whole process of uh, melding 10 guys who were 10 new guys and, and they feel like they're they're kind of on the doorstep. But it's just a brutal stretch to be able to, to keep that into gear. Uh, they kind of had the soft part of their schedule early, and they obviously didn't have great results during that, and that's what kind of prompted the whole Steve Mills and Scott Perry press conference, all that. And now all of a sudden they're diving into this brutal stretch where they're playing all these teams that were not only playoff teams last year, but have a legit shot at, at making it making it deeper in the playoffs this year. So it's a tough time to be showing that you're making this progress. And I guess you know a lot of times the progress for the Knicks is just being competitive and being there in the fourth quarter. And, that's what David Fisdale kind of preached uh, against the after the loss against the Nets on Sunday night. He was like, "Hey, we were right there. You know, our guys were competing hard, and that's kind of the bar that they set. At, at like, you know, they're not focused on wins losses right now. They're focused on being competitive and, and being right there, which is a tough thing to sell, I think, for fans who who want to see the end result. But uh, you know, it's a tough stretch against these teams. So I think if they're there in the fourth quarter, I think that's kind of progress for them." Yeah, I'm not going to hold you. That is a tough sell to, to fans. It's a tough sell to a lot of players, uh, to a lot of people as well. In the midst of this end stretch, and, I, and I'll let you get out of here after I ask this question, uh, that December 15th deadline where the players that were signed in the offseason are eligible to become traded, um, there's a lot of unhappy players on that team. There's a lot of players that probably can go and help a contender right now. Do you see any of these players possibly getting moved in between now and that December 15th deadline? Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be interesting. Uh, I mean, by where they are by the by December 15th probably isn't – I mean, I don't see them – they want to see how they, this team meshes together, and all of a sudden, you know, by the time that they get that opportunity, then December 15th rolls around, all of a sudden you can trade some of these guys who are on, uh, you know, expiring contracts. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean – Obviously, I think the biggest piece that they would have is Marcus Morris, who's been kind of their leader on and off the court and one of their most consistent players. And I think it's tough if you take that guy away. I mean, it would be tough to, to figure out where they are right now. And they're not even in a good spot right now, but they, I think they'd be far worse off if they didn't have Marcus Morris, who's uh, shown the ability he can, you know, kind of put the team on his back a little bit. And, and he, you know, David Fisdale has, has loved his leadership and all that and talks about how he's taken on a role you know, after tough losses on the practice court, all this stuff. So, um, but they definitely do have pieces. I mean, part of their, you know, the whole free agent thing was that they signed these guys to, to contracts where they could kind of unload them um, this year, if, if need be. And, um, you know, for some playoff teams, there might be some attractive pieces, but I think they want, I, it, you get the sense that they want to see what this group can do. Uh, if you give them some time to work together and if you tear them apart right after they finally start to click, I think that's kind of a tough goal of it, but. I mean, they're also obviously building for the future, so you got to keep all your doors open. So 
it will be interesting once that deadline rolls around because all of a sudden everybody will kind of be on the clock at that point knowing that uh, at any time something can happen. Um, so there's definitely some pieces there. It's just a matter of, of where, what direction, uh, you know, what Steve Mills and, and Scott Perry decide to do. You can follow Greg Joyce on Twitter at GJoyce9. He does great work for the New York Post. Great reporting, as always, in the Knicks camp and Knicks world. Uh, thanks for stopping by Big Apple Buckets, man. Enjoy your day. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Give the best to your family. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Sounds good? All right. Thanks, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. I now bring in our incredibly ha- incredibly handsome. Who wrote this? Oh, cash app notification. Right. Okay. Yes. Our incredibly handsome producer, Jake Brown, to tell us in this ugly season what we should be thankful for as Knicks fans. And be thankful. We know the Knicks are not a good basketball team, but every week I'm here talking about the negatives. Listen, it's Thanksgiving. I'm about to stuff my fat face with an obscene amount of food, so I'm in a good mood. Let's try and spread some good vibes and let you know five things to be thankful for as a Knicks fan this year. One. Be thankful that the Knicks have a better record than the Warriors. If you said heading into Thanksgiving, the Knicks would have a better record than the Warriors, I'd throw you out the front door like I'm Uncle Phil, rest in peace, and you're Jazzy Jeff. It's true the Knicks may be 4-13, but the injury-plagued Warriors are 3-15. It's bonkers to think the defending champs would have the first pick in the 2020 draft, but here we are. Also, the Knicks are tied with the Hawks at 4-13. So, they have someone else hanging down in the basement with them. Number two, speaking of draft picks, be thankful the Knicks will have their 2020 first-round pick, which likely ends up in the top three again. There's been many times this team has either traded their top pick or it ended up being a bust. They should have a chance in 2020 at either taking Memphis 7-footer James Wiseman, Georgia guard Anthony Edwards, or UNC guard Cole Anthony. That's if they stay away from LaMelo Ball, that is. Number three, be thankful for R.J. Barrett. Outside of being a disaster at the free throw line, Barrett has looked very smooth for a 19-year-old rookie. As he develops his game more and gets stronger, this kid looks like he could be a perennial all-star. And the Knicks front office looks good for taking him. His development will be a bright spot in a year of many losses. Number four, be thankful for short contracts. The Knicks will have the ability to either trade these guys before the trade deadline, not pick up their options, or let them walk in free agency. Marcus Morris, Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson, Wayne Ellington, Alonzo Trier, and Damian Dotson. They could get some draft picks for a few of these guys or someone in return that could help them. They aren't exactly getting a star in return, but they can get some value trading them to a playoff team or just free up that money next summer and go again for some big free agents next summer. And finally, be thankful for Clyde Frazier and Mike Green. Watching 82 Knicks games can drive you nuts. You've got one of the best broadcasting duos in sports getting you through those few hours every game. There may not be a lot of dishing and swishing on the court, but you got Breen's bang and Clyde's rhymes to get you through it all. So you know what? Be thankful. Get through the losses and hope for the brighter days ahead. Have a happy Thanksgiving, Knicks fans. You know what's a good episode of Big Apple Buckets when we got somebody with his own rule named after him. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, joining us on today's episode is a former New York Nick, also spent some time with the Chicago Bulls. Make some noise for my man Trent Tucker joining us today. What's going on, Trent? Hey, how you guys doing today? I'm doing all right. Let's talk about the Trent Tucker rule, man. Uh, New York Knicks fans and NBA fans alike have always remembered this legendary game when uh, you took down the Chicago Bulls. 
due to the Trent Tucker rule and mostly due to Phil Jackson complaining a whole lot about how you could get a shot off in less than 0.1 seconds. So just take me back to your mindset because I feel like right now, you know, ever since that rule was established, uh, there's been so many just last-second, you know, last-second tips, last-second shots. There were so many things that go through the mind of an NBA player when they just have to get up and just, just – just throw it at the rim. Just hope for something to happen. And you're one of the rare players that it actually happened to. So much so that they had to make a rule after it. So uh, give us a little bit of thought on on what was your mindset when that play was happening. Well, you know, uh, we were going to run a, a, a live pass for, for Patrick. You know, we, we knew that we didn't have a lot of time, you know, to, to do to do much on, on that when it was the tenth of a second left. But it was the first year, 1990. That the NBA had gone to tens of seconds on the game clock and the shot clock. So when Stu Jackson called up a play, we were throwing a lot of pass, you know, to Patrick Ewing to see if, if we could get a tap in at the end of the game. I was just a decoy, and I was supposed to go from, from the left side to the right side to empty out the back side, and hoping that Michael Jordan followed me, you know, across the lane so Patrick Ewing would have a free pass to the basket. But Michael Jordan, being the smart player that he, that he was, he read the play, and so. I knew that we didn't have, you know, uh, a second option. And I knew that Mark Jackson was up against the five-second count. So I went along the baseline and up the sideline, and he gave me a, a little flip pass, and I turned the shot the ball as quickly as I could. And and, and great for the new, for our team that day, you know, that the ball went in. Man, I, I'll never forget that play. I'll never forget that game or that day. I feel like that was, like, the first game – I saw like as uh, just remembering a play just getting replayed over and over and over again, and uh, us Knicks fans will always take a win whenever we can get it. So, um, <laughs> so you talk you talk about uh, playing with Patrick Ewing and uh, you know the kind of relationship that you had with him as a player, and you know especially in the early '90s when he was in his prime, and now you look at him as the head coach of the Georgetown Hoyas. And, uh, you know, he's making some noise. He's got some some really exciting recruits, a guy like Mac McClung, who I, I watched for a long time and I'm a real big fan of. What kind of leader was he when he was in the NBA when you guys were teammates? Because now he's, you know, he's, he's in charge of young minds. He's in charge of young players. So did you kind of see him becoming a head coach in his future? You know, you know, Patrick was a hard worker every single day. And when you come in with as much expectation that he came in with, you know, you have to you have to bring it every single day. And for the seven years that I played with Patrick Young, you know, he was always first guy to arrive in the morning and, and the last one to leave. So you could see, you know, those leadership qualities uh, with inside of himself at a very young age. And, and it's not surprising to me today to see him, you know, being a head coach at, at Georgetown University. It took a long time for him to get to that position. I'm glad to see that he's in that position and he's going to do a good job for these young men because he has so much experience and, you know, and how he grew up, you know, coming from Jamaica and going up to the Boston area. So that was a big adjustment for him. And, and whether his knowledge of the game and having some good and wonderful assistant coaches to go along with him, he's going to help these young men grow tremendously. Couldn't agree more, man. I think he's doing a bang up job over there, especially uh, being one of the greatest Georgetown Hoyas to ever live. There's a lot of pressure to live up to that uh, to that fame. Uh, just switching the gears a little bit, you know, that those Knicks teams, like I said, were one of the most memorable Knicks teams of my lifetime. 
But, you know, you always had to go up against the GOAT. Always went up against a guy like Michael Jordan. You know, like a lot of times, the thing about MJ is a lot of people believe, you know, he 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 prevented a lot of great teams and great players from reaching the promised land. And uh, I truly believe your team was one of those. So, um, you know, do you – just take me back to those times, man. Like you, you lost to the Bulls in the 89 playoffs, the 91 playoffs. Do you feel that any of those Knicks teams could have eventually taken him down? Was there was a, a, a play or two that you felt like, man, you know, if we would have had this right here or, or if the, bounce, the ball would have bounced this way, we could have got MJ this time? Or was it just that dude was just a force of nature and there was just nothing stopping that guy? Which, which more was it? You know, he was a force of nature for sure. Uh, but I thought 89, we had a, a really good chance to, to beat the Chicago Bulls because we, we had swept the, uh, the Philadelphia 76 in the first round. They went five games with the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, and he made that, that shot of a career elo that we see time and time again. And they were coming to New York for the first two games, and we had home court advantage. And we lost a 12-point lead in game one in the fourth quarter with about three and three and a half minutes to go, and they beat us in overtime. If if somehow, somewhere, if we hold on to game number one, and go to Chicago up two games to zero and get game seven back at the Garden. I thought at that time we had a chance, you know, to beat the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan and, and would have moved on to the Eastern Conference Finals. But when he came in and they stole game number one, you know, that set the tone for them for the rest of the series. Everybody knows you eventually left the Knicks and went to the Chicago Bulls and played with MJ. And that first season there, you won it all, you know what I mean? Just well, just immediately. So how weird was it to switch from, you know, playing against this team every single year and, you know, two of those times coming up just to get just a little bit short against them, and then you join them, and immediately you won a championship? Well, it was a big adjustment for myself because first down, you, you, you have to, you know, you have to make those adjustments and, and ask yourself, you know, this is a different team. They have a different mindset. You know, they have won championships in the past. And the role they're going to ask me to play, you know, are you good enough to fit into their role? You're not worried about it physically, but you're worried about it mentally because this is something that you have to do every single day. Every time you go out to play, people are expecting you to win. So you come in with, with, with a different mindset. But also I had to earn their trust. You know, being a New York Knicks for so long, and I was thinking going to a team that you had to face year in and year out, and you could never get over the hump against them. And, and for them, you know, I, I had to I had to let them know that, you know, even though I love being in New York, Nick, I love New York City, but, you know, I had put those days behind me at, at this time to join this basketball team to see if I could do the best that I could do to help them win as well. You were going against a team that you battled year in and year out. And, uh, you know, when you got to Chicago, you won a championship immediately. So the question I want to know is what fundamentally between the Knicks franchise and that Chicago Bulls franchise was different from, you know, a championship standpoint? Like, was was there any fundamental differences or is the only difference number 23? Uh, you know, he, he, he makes a difference. Uh, number 23 was the guy that was the driving force, you know, when – when you got into a close game, whether you were down four or up four, you had a player that could close the game out one way or the other. And you just felt like that any situation that you were in, Michael Jordan would, would find a way to win that basketball game for you. You always felt like that at playoff time, you know, he was going to rise to the case and go out and get 40 or 45. If he had to get 55 or 60, 
you know, he had the talent to, to do that. So he was that, that, that comfort, you know, that we all had in Chicago. And time and time again, in big moments, he was able to step up and deliver. Now, you were one and done over there. So after you got the championship, you were like, I'm good. I'm, I'm calling it a career. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so did you did you realize that, that that place, that the Chicago Bulls were about to become a dynasty? Yeah, you know, they, they had at, at that time maybe the second or third best player in the game in, in Scottie Pippen. You know, and when Michael Jordan stepped aside, in 1994 to go play baseball, you know, Scottie Pippen was, was second in the MVP vote MVP in the league behind the Kim Olajuwon. So when you combine those two guys together and the things they could do and, and, and how they could bring the team together and play at a championship level every single day, you know, it, it's hard to imagine seeing them lose in, in situations like that. You know, they were a great tenant to watch and they were a great tenant to play with. Now, uh, you know, you were drafted to the Knicks, uh, sixth overall. And uh, being drafted to New York City is, you know, something that a lot of players are prepared for and something a lot of players aren't prepared for. We've seen that with guys like R.J. Barrett. You've seen it with guys like Chris Asporzingis. You've seen it with guys with like Patrick Ewing and Mark Jackson who were drafted to the city and had a lot to live up to, especially Mark Jackson who's from the city, Patrick Ewing being the number one overall pick, the savior of the franchise. Um Having a front row seat to that, how important was those picks to the city, especially playing all together and uh, trying to bring prominence and dominance back to the Garden? You know, when I was drafted in 1982, and, you know, the Knicks had been down for some years, but we were able to make some trades here or there. And to bring in some key veterans, you know, in my first year we were a playoff team. And we lost to the Philadelphia 76ers. That year they went on to win the championship when they picked up Moses Malone along with Dr. J, that we were able to um, make a trade to, to bring in Bernard King. And my second year in the league, we lost to the Boston Celtics in the, in the seventh game of the semifinals in the Eastern Conference. But you felt like going into year number three, you know, this should be our year, you know, to get over the hump. But when you lose your entire front line, Bill Conrad, Chuck Robinson, and Bernard King, it's going to be very hard to compete against Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, and Robert Parrish, and Dr. J, and Moses Malone. So we took a step back because we didn't have the players up front to compete on a nightly basis. And and during that time, when things weren't going well for New York, it put us in a position, you know, to land someone like Patrick Ewing. And when Patrick Ewing came over, you know, he was the savior, you know, of, of the franchise. But also, when you have a player like that, you need a point guard. And after the first or second year that Patrick Ewing was there, we were able to pick up someone like Mark Jackson and Raj Stiffen. And when you have two talented point guards and guys who can run the offense and control the offense, you know, you can find success very quickly. Understood. And in, in addition to those players, you've played with some legendary guys on the sideline as well, guys like Hubie Brown, Rick Pitino, Stu Jackson, uh, eventually Phil Jackson in Chicago. Uh, what was the difference in these coaches? What did you take from these guys individually and mentally that uh, made the biggest impact on your career? You know, Huey Brown was the guy that really taught me, you know, what NBA basketball was all about. So he gave me a, a real education on what it was to, to be a pro every single night. Rick Pitino was the first guy at the NBA level to allow me to do what I did back and you know, shoot the basketball from downtown. Talked about pressing and trapping defense. We were looking you know, to get out into transition. Uh, if you couldn't get to the basket, we were looking to take the three-point shot in transition. So he was really, really good for the game that I played. Bill Jackson, you know, he, he was an awesome. He was the guy that knew how to manage and control 
you know, high ego personalities and put a team together and, and give you a mindset of, of winning. Every time we went out to play uh, under the field of Jackson, we felt like that we were well prepared to win the game any place we played at. Now you're in Minnesota, and uh, you, you know, you have been, uh, you've been somebody who's had a front row seat to a franchise that have been through a lot of flux with young talent, with veteran talent, guys like Colonel Anthony Towns, uh, Andrew Wiggins, uh, Jimmy Butler for a season, uh, even Derrick Rose last year. Um, you've seen a lot of ups and downs to certain franchises, and I know you keep an eye on the Knicks even though you're in uh, Minnesota. Is there anything that you see with uh, these current Knicks that um, that sticks out to you? I know they've, they've had a, a hit a bit of a rough patch. They've gone through a lot of transition. Um, there's been a lot of talk about them, even though they haven't won many games. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the, this current ideation of the New York Knicks? You know, you have to try to stay together uh, and, and have a plan, you know, more than one year. Uh, it, it's hard, you know, when, when, you're, when you're changing, you know, coaches and changing players change in front office people, you know, year in and year out, you know, to, to find some sort of consistency. You know, but you have to land that one big star player, whether it's through the draft or through free agency. And for a long time, the Knicks have not been able to land that one player. In 1985, we got Patrick Ewing, right? and that changed the fortunes of, of our franchise. And so far, the Knicks have not been able to, to land that one player. I mean, if they can find that one player through, through the draft or free agency, and all of a sudden now you have plans to move forward to add the right pieces around that individual, the things can change for your franchise very quickly. But they have to stay the course. And I think it's important for management to understand exactly what their plan is and, and go from there. Hey, Trent, Jake Brown here. I had to ask you something. I interviewed Rashawn McLeod a couple of years ago, former NBA swingman. And he told us a story, and I want to get your take on this, that Jerry Stackhouse later refuted. He said that Michael Jordan would sing Anita Baker to defenders when he was crossing them over. Did you ever witness Jordan either sing Anita Baker or sing any songs to defenders when he took them to school? <laughs> no, I, I didn't witness that. You know, we, it, it, if he was singing, I, I didn't hear it because he was, he was too focused on trying to figure out how to slow him down. Uh, and I can remember one night we, it must have been his second year in the league, and we had played Detroit Pistons in our, in our opener on the road in, in Detroit. We came home for the home opener against the Chicago Bulls, and, and we did everything possible. We knocked him down. We pushed him out of the air. You know, the game back then was a little bit more physical. They didn't call second fouls as, as, as frequently. And with all the physical contact that we threw at him, he still scored 50 points. And it wasn't like it was a 50-point game for him in a blowout. You know, it was a close game. They beat us like by four or five in the garden. And I walked away that night, and I realized that I had just saw the best basketball player I've ever seen. But never, never a song. You never heard him hum anything. You never. I know he's a big trash talker, but it was never like you know he's he's singing a little James Brown while, while driving to the hoop. No, nah, he never. You know, he never talked because you know back then, you know, you know, guys would would, would try to hit him and knock him out of there. So he was more focused and concentrating on, on putting the ball in the hoop for his team. But you know, during my time, I would say the biggest trash talker, you know, that I played against was Larry Bird. Can you give us any uh any great Larry quips? I know we got the the immortal who's coming in second place at the three point shootout. Do you got any uh memorable Larry Bird trash talker moments? 
Yeah, you know, at, at, the, at the three-point shootout, we just, the, first one, the first one we had in Dallas back in 87, he walked into the locker room. Everybody said, Larry, what are you doing? He said, I'm just trying to look around and see who's going to finish second. And, and then we were playing one night in the garden in the playoff game, and I think Hubie Brown was, was yelling and screaming and saying, who's guarding Larry Bird? Bird? Who's guarding Larry Bird? And he walked by and said, nobody is guarding me. oh man you love to see that man uh you can listen to trent tucker on kfan radio in minnesota uh he's an active philanthropist with the uh, trent tucker nonprofit organization uh he's also a former new york nick nba champion all around great guy hopefully you got a nice snow plow out there to get you out of the snow out there in minnesota but we thank you for coming on the Big Apple Buckers, my man. You have a good uh, weekend. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. And give my best to your family, my brother. All right. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you, you guys, as well. Of course, man. Take it easy. And it's closing time for this week's episode of Big Apple Buckets, our New York Knicks podcast with the New York Post. Thanks to our maybe sort of handsome producer, Jake Brown, for making this happen every week. We got you covered with new episodes each and every Tuesday. So make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms. You can find more Knicks news by signing up for our daily NY Post sports newsletter and by visiting nypost.com. We'll be back next Tuesday talking more Knicks basketball. Hopefully, it's a little better than this past week. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Be thankful. Be around your family. Enjoy it. And we will see you next week right here on Big Apple Buckets.